Intel is the spark for the dreamers who do. They dream of a life with no diseases, of cleaner, greener, more reliable energy, of advancing education by bringing AI everywhere. Intel is the spark to start something new, to know that no dream is too daring when you have the right foundation. It starts with Intel. Learn more at intel.com slash starts. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now... Your host, Mike Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links. And we are bringing an absolute fire matchup to you today, right here on the MA Fighting YouTube channel. A lot to discuss. We've had a lot to break down, a lot to digest over the last five or so days. We have a new welterweight champion of the world in Leon Edwards. One of the craziest moments in UFC history to cap off UFC 278. A lot to unpack from that event, from this past weekend in general. Just a lot to talk about. So let's get into this thing and introduce the combatants first. A winner of back-to-back matchups. The winningest player in the history of the game. He's had some fiery takes lately. He's evoked emotion as only this man can do. From MMA fighting, from no bets barred, damn they were good, and much more. Jed Mishu is back. Hello, sir. How are you? Guys, I'm I'm excited because uh, I think we're gonna have a great episode. I mean, oftentimes you put some some jackass or scrub against me, but I feel pretty good about Brian. So it's gonna be a fun one. Yes, and this is an opponent for Jed that a lot of people have been asking for. We made it happen, which I appreciate. I'm a big fan of this gentleman and his work over at CBS Sports and Morning Combat alongside the great Luke Thomas. And apparently, he's a guy that. No man should get locked in a bathroom stall with anywhere in the world. So let us welcome to the show for the very first time. What an Mr. intro. Mr. Ryan Campbell, BC. Wow. Welcome. Wow. Thank you for what an us. intro. Wow. Thank you for inviting me, guys. I have no idea what I'm getting into, but I'm excited. I, I wanted to bring some good karma. So I picked up the uh, Rousey Wins Again shirt for this little competition here. All right. She's still undefeated, right? Well, yeah. Okay. We're good. Here we go. Uh, we're off to a to a great start already. Let, let, let's not wait. Let's get right into this matchup. Let's get into the news of the week, probably the news of the year at this moment. Leon Edwards is the UFC welterweight champion. And it's not just that he's the champion. It's the way that he did it, how he did it. And it will be a moment that we're never going to forget. And if you've been asleep for the last week, Kamar Usman, less than a minute away from his sixth successful title defense. And then boom, Leon lands the shocking head kick. Usman goes down in a heap, and Rocky is officially crowned. What a moment. What a turn of events. BC, let's begin with you. How do you react to this moment, this fight, this ending five days later after all the breakdowns, the analysis, and all of it? 
I'm still trying to like frame it. Like, what does this mean? What am I supposed to feel here? Certainly I feel inspired by Leon Edwards who, you know, people say I've got a UK bias. People say, oh, you're just another one of those journalists who thought this guy had no chance. Yeah. I mean, I thought he had a puncher's chance. I thought he had a fighter's chance. I thought this would be very much the one-sided fight that rounds two, three, four ended up producing. Obviously, let's give Leon a ton of credit for the win streak to get here, for taking down Usman in the first round, for surprising us early. But this is a special kind of unique, special and unique moment in many ways that is hard to frame. Like we can make comparisons to Silva Sonnen or, or Holm Rousey or, or whatever you want to go with. But this guy was getting his ass kicked in ways that was largely predictable until he wasn't. And I know that nobody wants you to use the word fluke because, you know, they got the inside cameras to show you that finishing move was something that was set up, that was that was practiced, that was looked for. This was not uh, lucky punch territory. But to act like there's no luck involved in this, in the sequence and timing in which it happened, I think would be to miss the moment. Um it's not just luck, but that played a part in it. I'm inspired by what Leon did, but am I a curmudgeon for saying, I kind of need to see this another time to see if I really believe what just happened actually just happened? I know I said that after Peña Nunes and people thought I was a communist, but that's where I kind of sit right here, right now, today. Jed, you were on the post-fight show. You, you reacted a couple of hours after the big moment. How does it sit now a little less than a week later? I mean, it's it's aged better, and I, I thought it was really cool at the time. <laughs> and it's I have watched that uh, the Rocky promo, whatever you want to call it, clip of of Leon's corner, maybe six thousand times. Like that's awesome. I've seen the head kick so many times. Uh, it's not a fluke. He kicked him in the freaking head. Like that's it. Like it's. I know that people want to talk about it. I'm not here to say that this is that was the most likely outcome because it very obviously was not. But, like, it's so obviously not a fluke because they have the receipts. They have the receipts of being like, hey, this dude dips his head this way. If you can get on the angle, flash the left, and then kick him in the face. And he did it. So it's, like, obviously not a fluke. It's not a lucky kick. It is a kick that happened in circumstances where he was super behind. And so that is going to, because of the tenor of the rest of that fight, I understand why people are, you know, why Brian says, I want to see it again. I want to see it again because it was cool as hell. And if he does it again, that's even cooler. But I believe every bit of it. He kicked him in the face and Kamar Usman fell down. It's not that surprising that if a professional fighter who is good at fisticuffs kicks you in the face and you are 35 years old, you get knocked the F out. And that is what happened. And Leon Edwards is your new champion. And I'm cool with it. It's amazing how quickly things turn in this sport because Leon Edwards becomes a superstar overnight and his stock just continues to rise every day throughout the weekend. Look at the numbers, Jed. I know how you feel. We'll get into question. I am not willing to call him superstar right now. This week he is. There's no damn doubt about that. But Kamara Usman has become a meme, so to speak. People are saying that he's washed. And I, I feel like people have forgotten what Kamara Usman has done heading up to this point. And by the way, in defeat, I think he's handled himself incredibly well. He told Dana White, at least this is what Dana said on Tuesday, that he's a bit relieved that, that a weight's been lifted off his shoulders. And he's just excited to run it back in London early next year. But Jed, 
your thoughts on how Usman is handling things. And we'll talk matchmaking in a minute if you were the guy with that pencil and all of that, but just the handling of it all. And let's play it off for the time being like, this fight is a thousand percent unequivocally the fight we're getting. What is at stake for Usman aside from vengeance and trying to get the belt back? What's on the line if and when this third fight happens? I mean, his legacy? It's not because Kamal Usman's legacy is lock solid. If he never fought again, he's the second greatest welterweight of all time, a top 15, maybe even a top 10 fighter of all time. Like if he just retired tomorrow, I think both of those are very, very clear. But if he wants to, which he obviously had designs on coming into this Leon fight and probably had designs on right until Leon Shin put those right out of his freaking head and into the netherworld, uh, was being the greatest fighter ever. If he wants that, he has to win. He has to win the trilogy. He has to come back and he won't prove it was a fluke because, like I said, it just wasn't. Very obviously wasn't. But he can prove that he is the better fighter and that it that's just MMA. That if you fight 10 times, something's going to happen because there are simply too many variables to control. But he is the better fighter. And if he does that and beats Leon Edwards, then he can get back to building the resume to contest George St. Pierre. Because I know some some people who are idiots believe that he is already the greatest welterweight of all time. I cannot stress to you enough that those people are friggin' morons. Uh, but if he wants to be that, he has to come back and beat Leon Edwards and then beat Hamzat and then defend the belt a couple more times and then the conversation can be had so that's and that seems to be what he wants he was you know he's talking all about before i want the respect i want to go up to light heavyweight cool you got to do leon first now like leon is now the priority if he wants to make any of that happen bc yeah did jed just call dana an idiot is that what he did all the time (laughs) As often as I possibly can. <laughs> look, yeah, I you mean, want look, to talk I, receipts. <laughs> people, if you say fluke, it's like a scarlet letter. Look, if I walk up to Tracy Cortez and, and, and tell you guys I'm about to ask for a number right in front of Brian Ortega, and if somehow she gives it to me just because I planned it, that means it, it makes sense. No, it's a freaking yes. fluke if that happens That's at the exactly end of the day. I just want happens. you to realize that. With this factory of town looking ass right here, but what does Camaro gain out of it? <laughs> yes, with what you're saying with legacy, no question. Because let's be really honest about something. The whole go idea and what this fight was supposed to mean was really jammed down our throats in ways that didn't necessarily make sense. And I think to cover for the fact that this wasn't a sexy matchup coming in. And even though we love Leon Edwards now because we got to see the real Rocky come out. This was a Marty Snoozman snooze fest on the way in. We needed this sort of over-the-top goat. One more win, ties Anderson Silva. Where is he on your goat list? We all sort of needed that to get excited about this fight. That's still in play if he redeems this loss, Kamaro. In fact, if we're being really honest, the public tends to connect and love guys more when they face adversity and come back and do this thing. And that's really been the biggest Problem for Kamara on this rise. Greatness has followed him each step of the way on the win streak before this loss. The reality is that he was getting closer to the all-time great conversation, but anyone putting him ahead of GSP at welterweight, like you mentioned, or going straight to the top, it was too early. But what if he goes in there and does the thing that's true currency to the American fan, right? Getting up off your back and running it back. I tell you what's at stake, not only the legacy, but the connection to the fans, which is something uh, Kamaro's never been able to do. Is he too corny? Is he not marketable enough? There's some things in there. Yes. But you know what he is? Yes he's a is professional. He's a consistent winner. His comments and how he's handled this defeat to everyone have been on the up and up. 
and his lack of connection to the fans could be fixed by an inspirational comeback win. And so could his finances because the two dances with Colby, the two dances with Jorge, yeah, they were big fights, but they didn't do to him what Chael Sonnen did to Anderson Silva to put him over in the public eye on such a high commercial level. The public didn't buy in to that level. But now he gets to go to England, potentially, where it's on fire, more money, bigger show, bigger card. Hey, put it in Wembley Stadium for 80K. Let's do some Anthony Joshua type shit. For Camaro, he may end up better off in the long run. Legacy, financial, fan love and respect after going through this, even though, boy, is it humbling, as Jed said, to get kicked in the face on this type of stage. I'm happy Rocky got his moment, but you see Camaro open up as a minus 350 betting underdog in the rematch for a reason. You got you to take the fight. You got to win it. He's going to have that opportunity. Now, Brian, we always talk about how in MMA that we should stop focusing on the word deserves, especially in the sport and especially in the UFC, because as the great Lil Wayne has said, money is the motive, right? And Leon Edwards, the guy most cast aside, <laughs> the guy a lot of people, some panelists included, said nobody cared about. And now... He has this life-changing moment, which, by the way, let me throw in my two cents. It wasn't lucky. It wasn't a fluke. It's not like he tripped over his own feet and elbowed Kamar Usman unconscious. I think that's kind of nonsense, but be that as it may, he's got big fights ahead of him right now. Big money fights in play. A lot of options. This Usman fight would be massive. Absolutely. Mazadal would be massive. There's history. Winner of Shamayev Diaz. Massive fight. Conor McGregor. I hate throwing that name out, but Many people oh, stop continuously that. bring it stop up. That. They bring it up to me. They're like, how is no one mentioning Conor McGregor? This guy is about to make at least one big bag, no matter what, in his next fight. But if you are the guy, if the UFC called you right now and said, Brian, you are the only man who could book Leon Edwards' next, next fight, his first title defense, how would you do it? Is it automatically Usman part three, or are you going just completely wacky here? I, I hate to be boring as shit, but it is Usman part three. And that's because Camaro is deserving because he had a 15 fight win streak because he hadn't lost in the UFC because he was number one pound for pound on many lists at this point, And because of the over inflated goat talk, uh, not everybody historically gets this treatment. Like, you know, BJ Penn did after the Frankie Edgar loss made sense. Other times you're sort of like, how the heck is Demetrius Johnson not getting an immediate trilogy against Zahuda? Oh, he's traded to one championship? I mean, weird things happen at times. But I didn't think it was fair that TJ Dillashaw had to go the back route after getting upset by Dominic Cruz in such a close split decision that probably should have gone the other way. And he had to go back and work at the back. Now, okay, maybe he didn't have the extended resume. Maybe GSP, after getting upset by Matt Serra, didn't have the extended resume to deserve an immediate one and had to work the hard way. But God, we're talking about Camaro in the GOAT talk leading into this fight. He deserves no, a we weren't. Re- Idiots were talking he, about him in the GOAT fight. Nobody in a sane adult was talking about him in the GOAT fight. <laughs> but, but had he been solved by decision, had he been stopped early or submitted, you go, look, the better guy won. No disrespect to Leon. I he love being inspired. <laughs> The better the guy didn't win this. Dead. You got to go back to Nate Diaz. In the real world, you're dead, and I took all your shit. Like, that is, he is dead. <laughs> because you can look into the soulless life of that man staring into the bright lights because Leon Edwards' shin separated him from reality. Great After moment. Decision win, Great moment. Do it again. Do it again, brother. Okay. You got to beat Anthony Joshua twice to take the boxing heavyweight title. And in rare circumstances in UFC where they have control over the matchmaking, you still got to do it again. And by the way, if anyone's even trying to make a Masvidal fight, 46 year old Dan Henderson 
got a title fight when he was two and three with three knockouts coming in. And I never thought we would beat that egregious moment, even though we all love some Hendo. Good God, would this be the worst moment if he got the next shot? In fact, I'd rather have Connor right that. now, Mike Heck, than this than this uh, <laughs> Masvidal rematch. <laughs> Chad, I don't think you agree with that, but uh, how are you? Agree, how are you? I agree that Masvidal is not involved. Like that's you just can't do that. <laughs> that's ridiculous. I think the answer probably is Usman, uh, even though I hate it because I hate immediate rematches. I it's a little bit better, more palatable because it's a trilogy. But I, I have always thought it was stupid. You did the thing, and he didn't. This there's no controversy here. He didn't win a robbery decision. He kicked that man in the face. The difference between a fluke and doing something improbable and awesome is like, uh, who was the guy who took the belt from Michael Chandler because Michael Chandler broke his own foot stepping backwards? Brent, Brent, Brent Premise. Yeah, that guy. Don't even remember his name because he wasn't actually good. Uh, yeah, that's oh, a fluke. You. Whereas Leon Edwards set up and, uh, and finished a mortal combat finishing move. Like that, that's, that's not a fluke at all. So I don't like having, I don't like essentially punishing somebody being like, Hey, I know you did this thing that nobody thought was going to happen. Do it again. Pro- we don't believe you prove it, but that's, I mean, that's certainly what's going to happen, and I, I'm okay with it. But if I if I had full autonomy to do whatever the hell I want, I would make Usman fight somebody else or even just wait. Like, he didn't have to fight. He can just sit out and wait. And after my boy Hamza Chmaev beats the hell out of Nate Diaz, uh, then I would let him fight because he's actually the best welterweight in the world, and I'm a big fan of letting the actual best guy in the world fight for the belt. You know, oh, UFC well, tends to reward company men once in a while. There is a company man coming off a win right now. Would it would it break your heart if it was Colby? I mean, it wouldn't break my heart. It's I I don't think that would happen, and it would just be weird. But I'd be okay, I'd be okay with that. It just seems like the worst of all the options from a business standpoint. Colby's not going to do nearly what Masvidal or I think Usman would do. All right. I All think right. I one, often wonder if it was yeah. me and Jedi Goodman right now, what kind of traffic we do. Okay. But he's not, he's I not mean, walking through that door. We, he, we got the other Jed. He, right? can't, he has to be tweeting <laughs> out what's happening right now. He can't do both. You can't, it's just not possible. What one last thing I wanted to just, just say before we move on is Demetrius Johnson's name was mentioned. And if there's one good thing outside of just the moment that has come out of it, is that praise is being heaped upon Demetrius Johnson because we've seen Nunez lose, we've seen Usman lose, and we are realizing something that Jed says on this program and many other shows all the time, and I completely agree with this. It is one of the hardest things, if not the hardest thing in all of sports, than to consistently defend that title over and over and over again. And I feel like, at least with male fighters, maybe Valentina can get there because of the separation. Even she struggled in her last fight. I think Demetrius Johnson's record right now of consecutive title defenses is the Joe DiMaggio 56-game hitting streak. It is Ted Williams hitting 406. It's not being touched. Not in modern MMA unless something – I don't think I'll be covering the sport by the time that record is broken. It's so hard to do. And Demetrius is starting to get a little more respect for what he did in the flyweight division before he got – unceremoniously traded to one championship and he's making a lot more money. So all in all, probably a good thing for Demetrius Johnson, but UFC 278 created one of the greatest moments ever. It also provided a final moment in the octagon for a former champion of the world. And that's where we're heading next. The point for round one goes to 
Man, I want to give a 10-10 so bad right now, but I'm going to give it to, to BC. He's on the board. It's yeah. one to happen. Yeah, yeah visitors. This, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. This man's about. out here acting like Kamar Usman without pay-per-view points is going to make more money in his next fight. He sold Engl- 13 that, that million he- against England's kind of hot right now, okay? Come on. That's crazy. He's going to be making 40 and 40. He didn't get pay-per-view anymore. You're, I mean, I'm sorry. I love Leon, but his 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 reign is going to look a lot like Nico Montano's. I'm sorry, Jed. You're going to have to deal with this. All uh, right. No, I agree because Hamza wow. Chemaev is the best welterweight in the world. Wow. So yeah, Chemaev wow. <laughs> is going to. If Leon kicked Kamaru's head off, Chemaev's going to kill him. I've been saying it for a while, and I feel real confident in that now. Intel is the spark for the dreamers who do. Those with ambitious, out of reach ideas, begging to become real solutions. They share a vision for how our world and our lives can thrive when bold thinking meets strong silicon. They dream of a life with no diseases, of cleaner, greener, more reliable energy through the power of supercomputing. They dream of trust and privacy for all, of advancing and expanding education by bringing AI everywhere. Intel is the spark to start something new, to build something better, to know that no dream is too daring when you have the right foundation. It starts with Intel. Learn more at intel.com slash starts. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magirite is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. Well, let's go to the co-main event because we could talk about that all day. But Paulo Costa and Luke Rockhold, they battle it out. A fight I didn't see any world where it would get out of the first round, let alone go the full t- 15 minutes. But listen, was it the prettiest fight ever? No. Was it incredibly fun to watch? Yes. Costa gets the win. Rockhold shows tremendous heart and defeat and then announces his retirement from the sport. And as our own Damon Martin reported earlier this week, he's officially notified the UFC. We'll begin with you on this round. Your reaction to the fight five days later, the retirement. And you know what? Let's talk about Luke's legacy a little bit. Will we have a future damn they were good on Luke Rockhold? Oh, for sure. Um, I mean, Luke Rockhold was really fun. It's interesting. I wrote about uh, Michael Bisping's reaction this morning, and you know they obviously had all their their beef. They squashed it later. But Bisping said what I think is pretty true. It was like Luke Rockhold has somehow become underrated because his career was – very brief kind of at the, at the tippity top was very brief. His fall was so precipitous and he was just such an asshole all the, all the middle time through (laughs) that no, like it's really easy to just not like him. He's like one of the most unlikable guys. It was, it was always very astonishing to me because he should have been a guy who you looked at like superstar potential, literal Ralph Lauren model, good looks on top of one of the best fighters in the world. But his whole personality was just not a thing that people gravitated towards. And so I think he is underrated. Uh, And so he will certainly get a damn they were good. This fight was not at all what I was anticipating or expecting. We talked about a lot beforehand. I thought that this was going to go one of two ways. Luke gets on top and kills him. Paul Acosta punches him with a left hook because Luke Rockhold does not know how to defend those. Uh, 
both of those things happened, but neither of the finishes came from it. Uh, it was, I said in the post fight show, and I think I still believe this. It's about as good a way as Luke Rockhold could exit the sport because I, I thought if he was going to lose that fight, it was going to be one of those losses that made me think, Ooh, Luke should, Luke should probably go away now. This isn't the best choice for him. But instead I thought, man, he lost the fight, but he was really competitive after a three-year layoff at altitude against one of the five, seven, ten best guys in the world. Like that's and, and getting a little older. Like, yeah, I it was just not a performance I expected from him. He did he showed heart, which is not something historically his career has been defined by, if we're being honest. And if he wanted, if he had left that after that loss, said, you know, that sucks. It was really difficult. I'm going to go back. I'm going to pick myself back up. I, th- I think I still have more to give. I'm glad I got back in the cage, though, after all the things I overcame. I'm like, cool. I'll watch your next fight. Like, that'll be awesome. Let's see who – because I think you can beat a lot of guys at middleweight based on that performance. But this is a sport that just eats our dead, like eats our old, kills them in the most vicious ways possible. And that's going to be one of the better way to walk out you know, uh, that's a fight of the year candidate. It's not going to win, but it's it's kind of on the short list. It was a fun scrap fight of the night and a, a good performance from a guy that, frankly, I didn't expect one from. So, you know, hats off to you, Luke Rockhold. Great career. BC, your thoughts? I mean, so uh, such an unemotional delivery there from Jed. I mean, and you know, try to categorize Luke Rockhold's tippity top as brief. No, he didn't make any title. Is that emotional about but, Luke Rockhold? He's an asshole. No one's like that. But uh, <laughs> he is an asshole. Look, <laughs> this this might be the sweetest moral victory in a loss that I can ever remember in combat sports, and really the only equivalent on the turn he made, particularly a face turn, is. Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania 13 against Bret Hart. I mean, I could never imagine somebody who, yes, is not only the biggest asshole, and you can trace back Jed to his Millionaire Matchmaker episode in which Patty Stanger ripped him a new a-hole for how he treated those uh, those chicks. But, you know, to see it's a guy a that good looking... not be a piece of shit on that show, too. Like, yeah, I mean, to see it... <laughs> it's so not difficult to not be a piece of shit. And he couldn't figure it out. He couldn't figure it out. And to see a guy, you know, that good looking and arrogant be that great and see, seem to lose it overnight and then suffer one violent defeat after another mixed with layoffs, injuries, feuding with the company, he could not have been hated more, like you mentioned. And he got back to a point of, of, of straight love from the fans and some of the hardest sports fans to please by feeding them in a way that it, it shouldn't have been possible. He's not known for that level of, of recuperative skills and willingness to be that grimy. He was against an opponent still in his, you know, athletic prime who, yeah, coming off a two fight win, a losing streak, but we all kind of predicted he would get a knockout within the first minute and a half. And by we all, I mean, me and my many personalities, but the whole point is he completely exited there like immortal in a way that like you just don't see in retirement fights, particularly retirement fights in which you lose. And maybe, you know, I always say that the, the quickest path to Dana's heart is just the willingness to fight anybody at any time and be a company man. He found the other way. Just just be willing to no matter what blood, sweat and tears keep coming back. Even Dana after the fight during a week in which they're publicly fighting about fighter pays like I'll never say a bad thing about Luke again. It's almost like he got his pass into that immortal mythical, not the UFC Hall of Fame because it's not really a, a real thing. But this area where no fans are going to talk shit about him probably for a long time. And, and they shouldn't because at his very peak before, 
you know, some of his weaknesses cost him that that Bisping rematch. He was knocking on the top of the pound for pound along with John Jones, a couple others. I mean, he was really getting to that point. We know how great he was in strike force in that early run, which was robbed by uh, 2013 Belfort's uh, spinning superhero attack. But the whole point is this. This is like I compared it to like Kevin Costner and Tin Cup. If you're old enough, you'll get that movie's reference. Uh, we're not going to forget this. I don't know if it's fight of the year because it's so unique and weird. Like Nate Landwehr and David Onama the week before, it was like this emotional schoolyard fight. It was like I've never seen a, emotions dealt as currency within a fight that willingly or effectively. This was like a throwback to what the UFC used to feel like. People don't realize that if you weren't watching it. Watch who put in a, a Nick Diaz fight from 2005 in the UFC. Even the technicians in the game back then had to walk through hell and fight their way into victories before this. Everybody's a mixed martial artist. Everybody's a technical giant. This was like a throwback. And that all played into like the best possible retirement birthday cake for Luke Rockhold that he gave to us. And now the fans are giving back to him on the way out. Um, I love that man. Now I used to love that guy. Then I hated him. I've always wanted to see his DMS. I mean, just desperately, but now I love him again. And I think it's for the right reasons. And the best part about it, Mike Heck, is he didn't even do that for Dana or the fans. He did it for himself. He had real demons that he needed to exercise. He did that shit, man. I'm proud of you, Luke Rockhold. All right? Send me those DMs. This is, this is good stuff right there. Good. Yeah. Nice. Selfishly. I, didn't know Luke, I genuinely didn't know Luke Rockhold could inspire people like that. Like, <laughs> all right. I don't. Oh, man. I just felt he did it because that's he's an asshole. Like, it's tough for me to think he was fighting his demons when he just stares Paulo Costa down and is like, F you and punches him. It's like, yeah, that's well, just that's who the Luke thing. is right in his core. But Jed, I respect the shit out of that, by the way, because I'm. An I think asshole, he was fighting but. the company. I think he was fighting Dana White in that fight. I think he was fighting those who said he never had a chin and wasn't tough. I think he was fighting Patty Stanger in that fight. <laughs> <laughs> Only oh, she still won. I will say. I, I will say this. Selfishly, I'm bummed about one thing just for this programming, because I would love to have a conversation. But it turns out Paul Costa still has one fight left on his deal, and we'd have a lot more to talk about right now if what he said at media day was actually true. But the cost of free agency talk also, will unfortunately have to wait. Go ahead. Are we confident he has one fight in his deal? <laughs> did, did that information come from him? Because that could be entirely untrue. He could have six more. It's Paulo Costa. Yeah, I think he seemed more sure about? about having one fight than having no fights. But I do... I, I know this is tough for you, Jed, but we'll start with BC. I, I do want to talk about Marab Dewalishwili defeating Bullshit. Jose Aldo. BC, BC I, I've been very transparent. I hated this matchup. Aldo was done dirty here. No title shot for him unless something insane happens. But Marab Dewalishwili gets the biggest win of his career. BC, what did this victory do for this Bantamweight division right now? And was Marab's performance overall, was this a bigger win from Marab or from Marlon Vera in the grand scheme of things? Wow, that's an interesting. You gave me a lot there. Am I debating Jed or you right now on some of those things, some of those comments you made? Uh, I don't think they did Aldo dirty at all, but here's the deal. In a weird way, Devalish Wheelie answered all of the questions we had about him, whether he should belong to enter this truly elite title picture. And mind you, that may be the deepest division at any point in the history of the sport, which I thought lightweight was, you know, a year ago. And now oh my God, it I'm is suddenly this. Um, but, but at the same time, the, the method in which he won 
he didn't actually really answer the questions. Meaning, if you would have told me before this fight that Aldo is not only going to, you know, control, but completely take away Marab's plan A, and he's a, he's a fighter who heavily relies on that plan A, you'd say, okay, Jose's right back in this title picture. That happened. Marab was constantly coming forward, the aggressor, with strikes of varying looping or straight-on technique, and we still didn't learn. Can he strike with an elite striker on the elite level? Uh, wait and see as he's getting closer now into this larger title picture. Can you take away some things from him on what he didn't do to win? Maybe, but I don't think Jose Aldo was done dirty. I think at the end of the day, with the mixture of the altitude, which seems to be a factor in multi-fights, along with being 35 and jacked as shit and cutting down to a smaller weight class late in your career, Aldo ended up having just enough gas in the tank to go three hard rounds being that great defensively with the head movement and takedown defense, but he didn't plan enough of that for offense. So he kind of, in a weird way, and he's a legend, God, I love you, the king of Heo. I love I love you, brother. But he did himself in, in the end. Um, uh, you know, what does this mean to Cheeto? I think Cheeto's going to have to fight Marab next. I think that's what this means to him. Um, at the end of the day, what else do you want to ask of Marab? He got his car taken away from him, but he still walked his way to a victory. He got it done. Look at Jose at the end of the day. I mean, am I, am I speaking blasphemy here, Jed? I mean, really, you know, I know you're peeking through that hand. Show me what you got. God, I'm so excited, Jed. Go. It's rare that an opponent comes on, and for any topic, be it small or big, that I disagree with literally every word that came out of their mouth. <laughs> because holy shit, you just missed all of it. Uh, puppy I'll that start lost with its way. Most, Society. I'll, yes, got I'll start with the most egregious one. <laughs> Lightweight's the best division in the sport. It has been for at least 10 years, and it probably will be forever. Bantamweight is really great and really fun, but in no way is this the deepest division that's ever been. So we'll just pithy that one out. Uh, Do you have Jose receipts Aldo on did that get yet? done. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just look at the fighters. The top 70 lightweights are all really good. Bantamweight has like 40. Uh, on to the next one. Uh, what? Sorry to steal your your show name, Mike. I'm just I'm so kerfluffled right now. Aldo did get boned because he should have been fighting for the title over TJ Dillashaw. Keep in mind, I'm a dude who doesn't care about steroids, and has frequently said that I don't believe that TJ Dillashaw was on the gas at bantamweight anyway. Aldo still should have gotten a fight for the title because TJ Dillashaw probably should have lost to Corey Sanhagen. So well, Jed, the fact, Jed. Jed. Jed, you, I mean, not on the gas. He was on all the gas. You either believe everyone's taken or nobody's taken at the end of the day. I mean, come on. I mean, I, I in general believe everybody's taking, but I'm willing to buy his, his explanation that he didn't take it because like the simplest answer is that he probably wasn't juiced at bantamweight. I know that people hate that, but like they went back and tested his old shit. He was clean. There's a really clear reason why he would have done it for the 125 fight. And also, again, I do not care if he was on the gas or not. I don't give a shit about steroids. Never have. You can't make me. That's besides All the right, point. All right, but if there's I'll, one name you're going to protect, I mean, you, I mean, Dillashaw, really? You know? I mean, I mean Coach Sandusky, yeah. I, I don't need a babysitter. Why? Come on. I mean, like, this is, you know, this is, that. like, that's why? the guy you point why? at. Well, anyway. That's going to make us have this conversation, and it's not the focus, but, like, why do you believe that TJ Dillashaw was on the juice outside of the fact that he tested positive at flyweight and Cody Garbrandt said he was a juicer, the same Cody Garbrandt. He knocked the 
out twice. Um, is that it? Like that's, that's the reason. No, there's reasons. I mean, you know, there's a lot of reasons, but I think, uh, also it's in an era where everybody was using it and you're talking about a guy that was, you know, dynamic in some of the qualities that using would allow you to be ultra and extra dynamic and then got caught using it in another weight class. It's not like you just discovered it. Right. So it's sort of like, so I was just saying a bad wrong example job? in that moment. Not a bad at their job. Like that's the question your point. is, is you saw a bad at their job because you saw yes. tested him. Yes. They went back and retested yes. his other ones. If you want to say that, I'm cool with that. I think you saw stupid and I'll, I'll even um, go with that. But people like me who have a boxing background, good, Jed, we've never been in a world where you saw as good. Do you realize USADA was in boxing before the UFC? Do you realize not one time did they catch somebody until somebody forced them to catch somebody? And that was Eric Morales against Danny Garcia ahead of the rematch, in which he claimed he had met, he claimed he had tainted beef. All the samples came back positive beef. and they still let him fight. You said it had been around for all those fights. They didn't bust one single person and now suddenly they're reputable because the UFC picks them up. No, that's, that's not gonna fix I'd, that. Apparently, a ton of people believe in USADA. Anyway, this is entirely beside the point. The point is, TJ Dillashaw shouldn't get the next title shot because Jose Aldo should have gotten it. Then if you're not going to give Aldo a shot, to have him fight, I would admit that I think Marab is probably a decent style matchup for him, but to have him do it at altitude is just like the shittiest possible way to go about this. And then Marab proved nothing to me. Brian said that he didn't prove he can handle a striker. He proved he can't. I am extremely confident this man, if you take away the wrestling, all he can do is hug your leg. And that works very well against 35-year-old Jose Aldo at altitude. And when I say very well, I mean I still scored the fight for Aldo. And even upon oh, rewatch, get out of here. even upon rewatch, I think the best actual score is a draw because that second round, nothing happens. He holds him against the fence for most of the round. And I'm not going to reward that because it's stupid to believe that he that at least is attempted strikes. Jose, no, stop kicking or punching it. after round one. They you landed, can't give. They landed the same number of strikes in the second round. He held it in the third round. Yes, I scored the third for Marab. He actually effectuated offense in the second round. No. He shot endless takedowns, got freaking nowhere. But Jose has one trick. He has one trick, and to the other side of that, Aldo couldn't get away from it. I genuinely believe after he watched the best score for that fight is a draw, where the middle rounds a 10-10. Aldo no. takes the first, Marab wins the third. Like that's just it's like if you it's like when I say rules, I'm willing to give it to Marab. But it's but also it's a very stupid to reward it's, you holding someone's leg for 12 minutes. Like okay, but what about effort and intention? Thing. In routes two and three, Jose put it about intention. Oh, on shit about what you do. Why would okay, I Okay, but you got to start, Jed. When there's no offense or damage, you got to start going down the criteria no, a little bit to find really something. Don't. You had a Marab who not, was pushing the pace coming forward, actually attempting on offense. It's like, look, at the end of the day, not, I don't admit this him. much That's publicly. I had you all Romero three to two over John Jones in person, but you can't complain about that. I'm sorry, not John Jones. Sorry, Alessandra. But when did um, this fight happen because I missed. But the whole point is, if you're Romero or you're me. You can't complain about it. The guy didn't throw. Okay. So like at the end of the day, 
Aldo's not complaining about it. And I, I'm not calling this a robbery. I never once said it was a robbery. You score All right, but to score it, to score it for okay him on what? I'll absolutely score it for Aldo. And I got to, I got to go back to the well. You on how are you saying intention? who the shit was at least intending to hit somebody? Rob just held him. He just held him. No, intention go back and watch. He was, he was pushing the pace offensively. I mean, you got to give it to somebody. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. In the he face of nothing, in the face of 100% defense, it's not like it he didn't land a strike no, during that. Mean, he's not doing anything, though. It does not matter if you don't In comparison to somebody who literally did nothing, he's doing something. But I do want to get your – you're so adamant that he had to have gotten this next title shot in what I consider the deepest, most I mean, bottleneck division have. we'd seen in some time. Why? Dude, at the point that Dillashaw coming back – after that time away, at this age, fighting a Sanhagen who was right there knocking on the title door, and whether you – I don't know where you ended up on your scorecard at the end of that fight, but why does that automatically trump an Aldo who had three very good wins but was coming directly off a title fight? He didn't deserve coming off a loss in which they allowed him to get rabbit punched for a half hour until they stopped it. Why well, I, I, I like the win streak. It was great, but how does that automatically ahead of where TJ is right now? Because he had – three wins and TJ lost his fight to Corey Sandhagen. I officially did it, but like, okay, so you're playing, you're playing that I card. Don't, that's, that's, he, that's the he, basis he of your has, argument. He has one very questionable win, whereas Aldo had three very good wins. And so I think, yeah, that but when you get somebody rewarded. in that, that's in the top two, three or four there that are, that are ready to fight for the title next. I mean, they, they, they could have brought him back and fought for the title. It would have been grimy. They gave him essentially the number contender. That. That's the thing. Like he I gave him essentially the number one contender, and he won. And he so was. you know, I mean, he won, but he did like he he won in an ugly way. Like I, I have don't I don't think it is like the most egregious thing that this sport has ever done. But I absolutely think Jose Aldo deserved a title fight over TJ Dillashaw. I understand Dude, why he had they just didn't had do one it. though. He had just had just, one, and it went just disastrously. Had one. He had three fights since he just had one. In That's the not deepest division anymore. in the history of the sport it's that was hijacked for that. a year <laughs> while we waited out the DQ gate. It was hijacked for a year. It was already bottlenecked. I mean, are you kidding me? Super oh, man. All right, listen, listen, listen. I, I got to take control here. I, we, we, we're, we're already like over time here, but that's okay. This is a fun battle. We're going to turn the page. We're going to talk about another big moment from this past weekend. Take some deep breaths. The point Can't for round it. two. <laughs> goes to it goes to jed because he's right aldo wow. deserved the title fight. oh wow wow also, lightweight's better than bantamweight it's just bc don't, don't i mean worry, you know because... 18 months ago it was believe me it was it was but you know they got old it, they all got old. you're right it was it still is now the top of the I mean, lightweight it, division it still is makes the best fight shitty but... rankings but, All right, but you're playing. You're really playing the hardcore card of BC. If you go back between rankings 50 and 70, it's deeper. That's not what people are talking about. They're talking about the top 10 plus the old celebrity names and the guys who have next in the top 10. That's really who you're talking about. I'm not talking about world global okay, so, rankings. Go. So by the way, Bantam, for bringing in Bantam world global rankings, celebrity names than lightweight. Is that what you're telling me? The fuck are you talking about? No, that's not what I'm telling you. I'm telling you how you make this comparison of which the decision, which division actually is deeper at the moment is more about the top 10 plus the aging celebrity names. You can make big fights with plus the five guys who are knocking on the door next. You can't base your argument on numbers okay. 50 through 70. I, and I'll if you were, by the way, Bantamweight would I'm, still win, Jed, because go no, to Bellator, I, they one of the deepest divisions outside of the UFC possible at Bantamweight, as does many of the other promotions. 
I'll stip- I'll even be happy to stipulate on your terms that it's the top 10 plus the celebrities. You really want to go the top 10 plus the celebrities of lightweight versus band? I said celebrities plus the guys who are right there and the 10 to 15 that have next. You basically group cool. that whole. Let's do it. You want to do Let's that do at lightweight? Oh, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We might have to change the final question, but we'll, we'll move on here. All right. Let's head to the wonderful world of BKFC. I know that's what everybody here is waiting for. BKFC is oh, getting dude, after yeah. it. Another card this weekend in Albuquerque. We got Christine Faria versus Taylor Starling for the women's flyweight title. John Dodson versus Ryan Benoit, both making their BKFC debuts from the UFC and MMA. But this past Saturday, they took the show to London, and it was headlined by an intriguing matchup, at least on paper, between Mike Perry and Bellator welterweight Michael Venom Page. BC, let's start with you. I know you've talked a lot about this fight, some viral clips. Five rounds was just not enough to settle the score. They went to an overtime round, and Perry goes out there and wins the sixth round. It's a big win for Mike Perry. He's 2-0 in the BKFC ring. He's got a triller win under his belt. What was your biggest takeaway from this fight and Perry's win? My biggest takeaway is without question that the MMA and boxers that, that, that look at BKFC as a potential, like Paige Van Zandt, which was a surprise, a potential free agent home while they still got it, right? For everyone else, it's the last stop on the highway, as I always say, before retirement. The last people that'll pay you to fight, more or less. Uh, that's disrespectful, but you get my point. To so, serve somebody to go there in their prime, and in this case, Michael Page on a one-off and a shocker of an announcement that I was for. I'm still for, by the way. But you do have to know what you're getting into, and you do have to realize that some fighters, and it turns out Mike Perry is on the top on the list of this, are just made for this type of grimy pro fight equivalent. I talk to, like you guys, many pro boxers and pro MMA guys that are stars in the moment, former champions, you know, whatever. And a lot of times I bring up BKFC off, off, you know, camera to them or whatever. And every single one's like, oh, I'd go there tomorrow. And, you know, I'd box circles around those guys. They wouldn't touch me. Look, in some cases that may be true, but this really is such a different sport. I've never protested and love BKFC. Uh, I, I do think it's a little too gnarly at times. But I respect that there is a skill set and a makeup within somebody that gives them an advantage. And just because you can control from distance as a boxer or in Michael Venom Page's case with the threat of what he can do from his waist down uh, really tends to open up the door for him to land those spectacular, spectacular shots. And this fight, after being down early and dropped, he did actually end up landing those spectacular shots. Yet it still wasn't enough because he fought a dude who's made for this. And that was an error on MVP's fault, not only for kind of overlooking Perry. I think I got to call out many of the MMA community, too, who were looking at this going, oh, God, MVP's going to destroy him. It's it's just not the same. And I think the way the MVP didn't fight with a jab and sort of allowed Perry to keep running up to his porch and, and getting in, you know, at the end, look, it was split draw. It went to overtime. It was all, you know, tacky and gimmicky and fun, whatever. And it is what it is. But if you're going to do this and you're not doing this because this is the only phone that's calling, you know, you got to be careful because not only can you get carved up and scarred badly, uh, there is a, a type that this is perfect for. And the one thing I do like about BKFC, it's weird. I don't love how the fighting sometimes is a little too grimy for my tastes of competition, but I do love 
that the griminess makes for some really fun characters outside of the cage. Have you guys been watching this female division they have? I don't even know what weight class it is, but it's like Britton Hart and, and uh, Taylor Starling and all these other, you know, washed out UFC types, but they got personalities and it's, it's like a reality show. It's like pro wrestling. It's like my hometown, right? I mean, it's trashy as shit. Um, if you're going to come here and chase that, that, that bag, as you guys like to say, and you still got a fighting pulse, you better think twice. Because, you know, you'll get a little on you, right? You know what I'm saying? You guys know what I'm saying. You guys went to college. You know exactly what I'm saying. Um, MVP got a little on them. And that's the price you pay for chasing that bag, I guess. Yeah, I will say this, just just to add to what you said about BKFC. I covered BKFC 19. That was the Paige Van Zandt, Rachel Ostovich card. One of the best fight weeks of my life. It was just, and the, the event was just ridiculous. We had a bunch of influencers boxing each other with gloves on, which I still don't understand why that happened on a BKFC card. But we had people jumping into the ring. We had people yelling at fighters and confronting them from the crowd. I mean, it was just the best. But Jed, what was your biggest takeaway from from this fight? Uh, hey, look, Brian redeemed himself. I agree with most of what he said. Uh, I, I don't. I, I'm not a huge BKFC guy, not because it's too gnarly for me, just because it's not I, it's not my particular cup of tea, right? Like I, I don't know, uh, but I agree with him in that it is it is a very different skill set. I think people are starting to figure that out now, or at least hopefully they are. That like it's it's not just the same; it's not a a total one to one. And they should have figured that when Paulie Mangiani Mangiani lost. Like that that should have just been like, oh, that dude actually knows how to box, and he did not win without without things is obviously very different. Uh, also just, I think the most important thing to say, because it hasn't been mentioned before. Uh, I'm not a guy who loves MVP. I've in fact think it's incredibly funny that he got robbed by Logan Storley and just lost to Mike Perry, both in his home, like both in England. I think that's incredibly amusing. Uh, he in fact got robbed uh, at BKFC. Like very clearly I there's, he did not get awarded a knockdown in what was clearly a knockdown that would not have made it a draw. Had he gotten his extra point for the knockdown, he would have won that. It would have never gone to overtime where he was too gassed out to win. I'm not that sad about it because it's the height of comedy that he just <laughs> dismissed Mike Perry on the MMA hours. Just like, oh, dude, we're in different leagues. And Mike Perry's like, you think you're better than me? He's like, yes. Yes, I do. You're, we're this. We're not the same. And he immediately gets dropped by him. Like that's the funniest thing. And certainly, Mike Perry winning this is the funniest of the possible outcomes. And since I don't consider BKFC like the height of combat, uh, I'm super in for the funniest outcomes being the things that happen. Uh, but it just should be known that Mike Perry, like Mike Perry, good on him. Incredibly tough, super durable uh, dude. Does not know how to quit, but he should have lost that fight by in the real world. But, you know, that's not what happened. And now we're living in a world where Luke Rockhold is a baby face. Mike Perry is a baby face. Paul Costa, in some ways, is a baby face. What a weird, wacky week it has been. But last thing on this, Jed, he wants to fight Jake Paul. And he said this for a while now. Those two guys have history. They sparred together. It doesn't look like it's happening next since Jake is apparently fighting in October against a professional boxer. I have to say, Jen, I'm intrigued by this idea. I'm intrigued by it. I, I, I can't pinpoint why, 
but color me interested in Jake Paul versus Mike Perry, even though I think Jake Paul would win that fight. Is that a fight that you would be interested in watching sometime next year, perhaps, maybe sometime in the future? Is that on your bingo card at some point that we're going to see these two guys fight, and do you care to see it? I don't really care because I mostly don't care about Jake Paul. Uh, I, I've seen enough. Like I, I had a vague curiosity and at first, as you remember, I had no curiosity. In fact, was very, very anti at all. And then it kind of won me over. Uh, but I've mostly seen what I need to see from Jake Paul. Like he's, he's not bad at boxing. Like he is not good at boxing, but he's certainly not an awful boxer. And him continuing to box MMA fighters has, if he continues to box MMA fighters, I will pay attention because I will be forced to by the terms of my career. But beyond that, I don't really care. And similarly, I don't really care if he boxes boxers because he's not good at boxing. So he's he's just run his course for me for the most part. That being said, I also don't think this fight will happen because he is very clearly going to fight Nate Diaz after Nate loses to Hamzat like that's just the next thing that will happen uh and then once he fights Nate it feels like fighting Mike Perry is a big step backwards but I, I guess maybe but in like in the vacuum or whatever uh Mike Perry is a dude who knows how to sell a fight uh god his 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 work with Ariel on the MMA hour was incredibly funny leading up to that bout <laughs> like he's just he's a dude that if you give him a live mic something good or something terrible but certainly something amusing is going to happen and you put that against you know against jake paul jake paul is frequently complaining about having to carry the promotion mike perry would do his part certainly in that regard so it's not the worst idea i've ever heard but it has limited interest for me you oh, see God, i saw you i saw you the worst idea ever. the best idea of all time oh, i mean best. look it's okay. It's probably not realistic, obviously, because Jake is mostly looking to get some of that boxing cred. It was in, you know, is he going to come back against Rockman Jr. a second time? Or, or I don't know exactly. And obviously, I, I have connection. I work for Showtime, so I profit from him fighting in many ways. But I get the, the sentiments of what Jed's saying about, like, something does need to happen to regain that spark and interest level. And, 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 and it's going to come in the danger and quality of an opponent, but it's also going to come in another personality. Like, we look back. Maybe the Woodley rematch because it, it it was a late replacement didn't get as fired up. But like the first fight, that promotion was incredible. It's like what you're saying, Mike, about being at BKFC. If it in this category of not real combat sports, okay, I don't mean not real in that it's staged, but I mean not elite level MMA or boxing, which this celebrity boxing era is. Um, there are bigger fights that Jay could make, and I still think, even though I don't want it at all, Mike Tyson's probably the biggest fight he can make, and then any combination of Nate Connor. You know, Anderson Silva, even I think is a big fight, could all be big. But the fight that would win, you know, my dirtbag heart, God, it's Mike Perry. That's Mike Perry's Super Bowl. And he, you know, he was probably going to get cut by the UFC, although it was, it seemed gray. Did he get cut or did he leave on his own terms? But like him moving to chase the bag here while he still has some juice left, uh, th this is the biggest thing he can be a part of. And that fight week would be unbelievable. Mike Perry unleashed, like beyond the UFC fight night main event level unleashed is a, is a, is a, is a genius level of unintentional comedy that mixed with unpredictability. That is, you know, it, it's a guilty pleasure, of course, 
But, you know, I've had Mike famously, you know, tell me to fuck off when I asked a question about his ex-wife and screamed and yelled at me and threatened to kill me. And then the next time I have him on, we're like best buds. Um, He's the superhero of this weird creative fetish, almost real fights, but not really, but kind of real fights at the end of the day. And I want I want him to get his movie really badly. Um, I don't think he can win, though, because that size difference is pretty big. Like Jake's a big boy. But uh yeah, I mean, my, wouldn't wouldn't your bastard heart, Mike Heck, be into that? You would. I know you would. Oh yeah, I, I, I don't understand why. I know. That. I'm way more into the Mike Tyson one. That that's where my dirtbag heart. When you said, I was like, okay, I'd watch that. I would I would yeah. tune in to watch Jake Paul versus Mike Tyson. I hate myself for saying that, but I would. That one. That one. I don't me. want it at all, but it'd be the biggest one you could make with Jake Paul. It, it would. It would get every single casual out of their cut. Out of their combat retirement and come back and watch that every yeah. without five, five, six, eight. How, what's, what's this? What's the pay per view ceiling limit? I know you gave me that look, Mike Heck. Like I just, you know, like I just raised Dude, you, you know, four Jake trillion dollars. But sells, sells three million pay per views. <laughs> is that three? I know five, six, seven, eight yeah. is getting crazy, yeah, but is that that's a three? Three is a freaking lot. That's a it's three. A that's a big ass three. fight. In the streaming era, three that's a big ass fight. Three's maybe no, high. Two. Three's the floor. Three's I feel the two floor, for sure, right. and I think three is in in play. People yeah. are sicker than you think, guys. People are way oh, no, sicker I, than you think. All right? They really. I are. would get they so really many people texting me about that. Like so many people who don't give a shit about fighting would be like, "Hey, is this thing happening? What's what's this about?" Yeah, yeah. they should make that fight. We solved it. We did it. Way to go, everybody! There it is. We so made this it happen. Is why you tune in? This is why you tune into BTL. Uh, well, that was BKFC. We'll see what they have in store for us on Saturday in Albuquerque. Apparently, John Jones is going to be there to take it all in. But in around two weeks, it is UFC 279. And there is an interesting addition to that lineup that very few people saw coming. So let's discuss that. The point for round three goes to... It goes to BC for solving all of our problems and putting a lot of money in people's pockets. And costing us a lot of money. Great idea. Money gladly spent. That doesn't cost us money. That costs us our souls, Mike. Let's be real honest. If I if I could get a Dillashaw urine test, can I return round two? Can I turn the scoring back on that one? (laughs) Hey, listen. As if you ever watch a show, you know that my points don't mean anything. So, in the midst of the reaction, like who's laughing? Oh yeah, I'm I'm Drew Carey up in here right now. So in, in the midst of the reaction to the crazy end of UFC 278, Dana White just randomly announces at the post-fight press conference that at UFC 279, headlined by the aforementioned Hamzat Shmaya versus Nate Diaz fight, Tony Ferguson is on the card. He's returning to 170, and he's fighting the leech, Li Jing Liang. Jed, there's a lot of questions with this fight for a number of reasons, but... What is your reaction to this? What is your biggest question to the UFC and its matchmakers in putting this one together in around 16 days from right now? Uh, this fight sucks ass. <laughs> it's, I'm not a big Tony guy. I think anyone who's watched this program, I shit on him all the time. Um, but like, I don't, I just don't, I don't know what the purpose of this fight is. I am not looking at the UFC's rankings. Is Li Xiangling, uh, Li Xiangling ranked? In, in their welterweight division, it wouldn't I believe he is. Because uh, I know he had a ranking at some point. I just don't – I get why he's taking the fight. Tony Ferguson, big name, even coming off four straight losses, 
most of them really, really brutal. Uh, like I, I get him taking the fight, but this just doesn't feel like a winnable fight for Tony. I don't, even if he does, it's not like a top 10 guy. So he's not like an immediate title contender at welterweight. Like, I just don't know who, I don't know who this fight is for. Who is waking up and like, hell yeah, El Kakui versus the leech. Let's go like this. This fight screams to me that they just didn't know what the hell else to do and they were really trying to put some juice behind 279 because it's actually the worst fight card I I think I've seen in like five years. It's the worst pay-per-view event in a long time. So they were just trying to give it something else. But like I don't I don't know because I, I don't know the particulars. I don't know if it, Tony really wanted to move up to welterweight. But like the Dan Hooker fight, Dan Hooker was calling for that. That fight made a lot more sense to me. Because that's at least a winnable fight for Tony. And it's a fight in his actual weight class. This fight feels like he is just going to get obliterated. Because I don't think the Leech is like a great, great fighter. But he's a very good one. He is going to be much bigger than Tony Ferguson. And he's, you know, pretty good at doing things that will hurt Tony Ferguson. Who I have no faith or confidence in at this point in time. So, like, I just don't know what... I don't know who this is for. You are not building you're not building some new star off Tony's back and even if Tony wins you're not putting him into the positions you would hope for for him like I Stephen Thompson would have made a lot more sense to me if you're going to put him in a welterweight fight like this just feels it really just feels like they were just like I don't know Tony Tony's willing to fight here who will do it uh the leech sure Go, somebody make this card slightly better because we're trying to make fans not realize we're selling them an actual snuff film for $74.99 at UFC 279. That's what they're doing, man. That's a public execution. They are selling you a snuff film because there ain't shit else on this card worth buying. Well, BC, I don't know how you're going to top the snuff film line. I'll I'll uh, tell you what. I'm at it. now I actually do know how Leon Edwards feels, at least at the start of round five, because he just, you know, Jed just nailed that in just about every single case. The question that he asked, which he didn't have an answer, is who is this fight for? This fight is clearly for Tony Ferguson. And at this point, that's the real dilemma we look at it. Do I love this fight? No. Do I think Tony has more potential to get hurt badly than he does to redeem himself in some fresh start type way. Absolutely. But let's be honest here. Not only is he a legend, not only is he getting the fan, not that it matters, but the the biggest fan reaction we've ever seen from him. He feels like he's done enough uh, corporate guy, tough as shit stuff where it hasn't equaled the payout in terms of financials, you know, you hear the complaints from him and he may, might be right. He came back from injuries at, at sickening paces and would fight anybody at any freaking time. And the reality is within the company, he's earned this right out of reinvention. And it, you know, it, it, it he, him winning tough and the welterweight to move up to light heavyweight. It seems more than this, but you know, they give him this chance. lot. <laughs> back pay him for all he was deserved uh you know things didn't go his way luck wise and timing wise and then he's taking some beatings but uh as much as i love the idea of, of wonder boy i think that's the matchmaking he should have moving forward give him another old name make a fun fight 
And in this case, you're right. This card sucks, and they're putting this out here to attract people, but they're going to attract themselves to another knockout loss. And I hate saying that because I love that. I mean, I freaking love that guy. You may not have an emotional connection to any fighter's jet or maybe anyone else beyond that, but uh, I love this man. All right. Well, I love a lot of fighters. I just never was a Tony guy. Like, I just never did. Never, never stuck for I mean, me. Most for of my favorite reason. fighters compete at 115 pounds, but that's, you know, more of a personal preference. You know, okay. So I, uh, I, I, let me, let me, let me just go back to BC real quick. My initial reaction to this was twofold. One was, okay, we need to try to do something here to get people to want to actually spend $75 on this card. But the other reaction I had was, this is clearly a backup plan for the main event. If something happens, Hamzat's had issues getting over with That's travel and things like that. So to me, this is like, okay, worst case scenario is that Tony Ferguson is going to fight on this card. It's got to be against Lee Jing Liang. But if something does happen, guess who's getting the bump? It's Tony, and we get a Nate Diaz-Tony Ferguson main event instead. And let's you know, be clear. We, who do we deserve that? Do we, we might actually deserve that, right? They deserve that. I mean, it's not. It's not a bad idea. Like it's a great a backup plan better, if, in case Shemaev can't fight. get over for some reason. I mean, and, and, and the best fight. part is that UFC has obviously set up Nate Diaz here, as we've all talked about in our shows ad nauseum, to fail on the way out, which is how you do cutthroat business. But imagine if this happened, and then he ends up fighting Tony, and they put on an old guy blood and guts war, and 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 Tony. Uh, Nate, I'm sorry, gets the win and walks out a bloody hero. I mean, he would go into that Jake fight you're talking about, shining. You know what I mean? Like that. That'd be that'd be an incredible turnaround for for the real fans. You know? Yeah. The unvaccinated it, it just, ones. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> and just to add to the backup talk, the one thing I don't want to see, the one thing that the the third thought I had was, well, what if Nate just says, "F you, UFC, I'm not fighting," and then. No we chance. get the worst case scenario with Shamaya no. and Tony. I don't want to see that. Please, yeah. please, for the love no. of God. No chance. Look, I, I am pro putting Tony on the card. I think that having him as this backup makes all the sense in the world. But it's not like Tony is the most bulletproof guy when it comes to making the walk. So, like, he's not even the safest backup that's ever been. So just why is he against the leech? Like, why just the Steven Thompson fight? Like that fight, then Thompson can step in as like you have two backups at work because no one's going to give a shit about the leech versus Nate Diaz if like something happens and that's what we have to go. That's going to be just awful from a sales standpoint. I just don't like I want us. Tony Ferguson needs to do fun things if we're going to have him around. And I don't think the leeches have fun like. Steven Thompson's maybe not that fun, but at least makes more sense because he's still like a top 10 welterweight or whatever. Like really, honestly, Tony Ferguson should be fighting Vicente Luque. Uh, I know Luque coming off a loss, like at the timeline no, probably doesn't you, match you up. Don't even like but that, that fight's fight at either. least a banger. No. Like that fight's dope. No, no. You know, that's still, yeah. that's, give him, give him that's the fun old guy sad. fight. Look, Tony's going to get got one way or another, Brian. Like yeah, that's just right, where we're right, at. He's that. dying the next time in. Let's sacrifice him on the altar of excitement and not the leech who is not, like he's not I mean, unexciting. He's just not whatever. And to be fair, on our earlier debate, Jed, there's no shortage of old, exciting, formerly great fighters in this lightweight division because Bantamweight passed it by recently. And it's no, you know, it's no shame. I mean, it's no, it's no disrespect, you know? I look, I totally agree. Most of the lightweight top 10 shouldn't be there, but the dudes who are going to replace them are all 
hitters. So yeah, they're hammers. As Luke Thomas would say, they're hammers. Yeah, you're right. You're right. All right. All right. Last. I don't know who wins these anymore, Mike. I don't know. Is there a winner here? I mean, I don't feel like a winner. Listen, listen, I'm not going to dictate anything, but last thing I want to talk about is, and I just want to say that I've reached out about this today. It is still not done from the conversations I've had, but Kevin Holland is saying he's fighting Daniel Rodriguez on this card. And I like this fight and it would be a a nice addition to this card, but it's not done yet. And maybe it gets done soon and we get it on the card. But BC, how much of a jolt does this give the card like I, I don't think it does oh, a whole hell of a lot but how, how much how much of a jolt does this fight give the card if it is in fact booked on it not on the front door in terms of you know adding pay-per-view buys or anything like that it'd still be a weak card from the you know the marketing to the mainstream but god this fight is awesome and would be incredible for not only the real fans who would be fired up to see which guy uh really kind of starts to make that forward leap in the in the upper upper direction of this division and it, momentum wise, you know, this sometimes it, it takes a fight like this. And suddenly you got four or five bangers in a row of crazy knockouts or crazy back and forths or guys rubbing bloody faces over each other or, you know, yelling, fuck you as they throw left hands. Um, uh, yeah, this is fire. But uh, this, I mean, this card kind of sucks. I mean, Jed's not wrong. This, this card sucks. We need a few more of these. Jed, how much of a difference does this one make for you? I mean, the fight's really good, uh, so that's cool. If I'm looking at Wikipedia right now, and it has 16 bouts for this, so it includes the the D-Rod Kevin Holland fight. So, in the aggregate, by adding yet another fight, uh, it might bring it down because 16 is just an ungodly number of fights. Uh, yeah, I think that's. I don't think that's right. I have to hope that some of these get moved or something. But I mean, you cannot disagree with that matchup. Like that matchup. Maybe there's something better if you're, you know, a Kevin Holland guy because Daniel Rodriguez is one of those guys who is really, really good and probably doesn't – people don't know about it yet. But, I mean, this fight rules. It's, it's going to be 15 minutes or less of, of dope shit happening. Yeah, it looks like there's 13 on the card currently, so that would make it 14 unless this is already I, on there. Which 13 and four oh, announced about on, yeah. <laughs> on the wiki page, though. So. Yeah, Tapology has 12, this would be 13, and that's a fine number, and they should probably add another fun fight or two. But let's move on. The point for round four goes to... It goes to Jed Snuffy Mishu. It is two to two. This is turning into MVP versus uh, Storley very quickly, very quickly, all right? Yes. This is the Mike Perry MVP sudden victory round. We like to call it the knockout round here. And what we do is we ask one question. Neither of these gentlemen know about it, but I think if you've partaken in this program throughout, I think there's only one way to go with this, and that's where we're going to go. Each participant will have 60 seconds to give their response, to state their side, and then, and only then, will we go to the peeps, and the peeps will vote in the poll and we will decide the winner. We'll bring on Mr. 3024, E. Casey Lydon, to come in and read the final decision. So, Jed, you are the man coming off a of victory. You have the prerogative here. Do you want to go first, or are we doing Price is Right style, passing on over to BC? I'll pass it on over because I'm excited to rebuttal his bad arguments. Okay. BC, we go to you. And listen, this was not the question that I had in line, but... We're just going to shift gears here because you guys have made this interesting. I want to give you each one more minute to talk about it. You were on Team Bantamweight. 
Jed is on team lightweight. Mr. Bantamweight, why are you correct? Why are you right and why is Jed terribly wrong? We'll put one minute on the clock and your time will start right now. Because uh, it's just deeper, that much more deeper and exciting at the moment. I think because although uh, the lightweight division is recharging, which was necessary when this aging group of McGregor, Ferguson, Poirier's, Chandler's even are getting to this point, uh, it needed a recharge. Only that recharge is happening slower. Bantamweight right now in their prime already has five, six, seven guys who all, if they won the title tomorrow, you'd be like, yeah, well, I kind of saw that coming. Mixed in with returning veterans like Dillashaw feels like he's been away forever. I mean, even Mr. Faber coming back, Dom Cruz making another one, Jose Aldo moving down to weight. They didn't come in here to just make old guy fights. They made important ones. Don't forget even Faber, when he got stopped by Jan, was probably that win away from fighting for the title. You have kind of everything you would ever want in a celebrity division. And you've got a, a guy, you know, LeBron in the making, a guy who could have next in Sean O'Malley, who's getting to the front of that line quicker. And obviously a win over Piotr Jan could allow him to just straight kick the door in and get the next chance. Uh, this is the division. And that's why you just recently have seen, and I think you will continue to see, a hot potato of the belt that's comparative to the only time a division was ever this good historically beyond the one Jed's talking about. And that's light heavyweight some 15 years ago when it not only passed around like a hot potato as John Jones was growing armpit hair, it passed around between legends, Hall of Famers. And that's where we're at right now, Bantamweight. Lightweight, it's all your favorite fighter's favorite fighter, right? But they're all like 36 and have lost two of the last three. And that's just the reality of it right now. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, you know what? For a battle this immense, so entertaining, so fun. This is going to be like the final battle in eight mile where we're going to put 90 seconds on the clock instead. Yeah. So Jed, this has a Griffin Bonner one feel right now, right? Just two, yes, two just factory town rejects here going at it. I love it. This, this is changing BTL forever. So Jed, you get, you get a, a few extra seconds here. If you would like to use them, uh, you are on team lightweight. You are defending lightweight as the premier division, the Cadillac division in the UFC and in the sport, if we're being honest. So, one minute plus on the clock, go. I have a lot of things to respond to, and then I'll make my case. The first, calling Sean O'Malley a LeBron-esque person is maybe the most egregious thing that's ever been said on this program, and that's coming from me, who said a lot of egregious shit on this program. Uh, but you want to talk about, ooh, Bantamweight has like five guys. If they won the belt, you might be like, oh, yeah, that dude. Do the same at Lightweight, my guy. Rafael Fazeev. Yeah, if that dude wins the belt, that's sick. Sarukian, Gamrot, my boy Islam's about to take the belt. Like, no shortage of up-and-comers rising. Talk about the old guys at Lightweight. No, Yeah, absolutely there are some of those. Frankie Edgar's still hanging around in the top 15, along with Dominic Cruz. Like, they're old people at Bantamweight as well. The difference is, Lightweight is so much deeper. There's so many more of them. And you know how I know that? Because half of the lightweights had to move up to 170 because they couldn't make hay in their own division because it was impossible. You've got guys like Benny Dariush on an eight-fight win streak and not even sniffing a title fight because it's too many human beings going on. Gilbert Burns was an also-ran at 155, one of the best welterweights in the world, strictly because he stopped cutting weight because he couldn't make it because the division is that damn deep. That's you know, just Mike, I got to admit something. There's no Mike. disrespect to Bantamweight, which is the second best division in the sport, and it's awesome. But I got to admit something. Where it's at. 
I'm not, I don't say this easily. His argument right now is better. It is better. <laughs> I know because I, I gave that argument 18 months ago when I was lauding how great the lightweight division actually was. And the only difference between those hammers that are coming on, like you mentioned, is all your hammers are in the 10 to 15 ranking about to have next portion of their career. Where at Bantamweight, they're all in the top five and most of them have already won the title already. I mean, you know, Jan had it. Aljo's got it. Sanhagen's been right friggin' there. I mean, there are the right here right now and the legends and the hammers and the, I mean, it's just, it does, you know, I don't really believe that we're doing that. I mean, it's entertainment. I hope the people like it, but I can't even believe we're having this argument. I mean, people just love Bantamweight because it's new. And so they, they're tired. It's the same way that, uh, LeBron or, uh, Tom Brady, they don't win MVP every year. Cause everybody's like, I'm tired of it. Michael Jordan lost the MVP to Charles Barkley because everyone's like, it's really boring that he's the best guy forever. That's what this is. That's what the whole Bantamweight thing is. It's boring that 155 is the division, and so they want to get behind the new hotness. And Bantamweight's hot. Don't get me wrong. It's a dope division. It just ain't 155. I mean, Mike, that was cute, but the Jordan debate about people being bored was actually 97 when Carl Malone won it in his first in a three year of two in a three year run. Uh, the Barkley actually deserved it, leading the Suns to the finals, losing four to two to the Bulls. And he and only he, was that was, great was he because he was in Barcelona in with Jordan the summer before. And for the one time in Barkley's career, he went all in. So, you know, I mean, uh, look, I love lightweight. It's the third best division in the game today. It, it is because women's strawweight's always shit. on fire. Okay. It's always, okay. it's always the best division to watch outside of Bantamweight. Always. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I feel like McNeil Lair right now, but we have to we have to move on. Uh, get your get your votes in the longest the final round in history. <laughs> yeah, well, the, actually, it's the second. It's the second longest final round. Jed, you were a part of the, the official longest round. You and Aaron Bronstetter. I think that was like a oh, two God. hour show. In fact, we had we had <laughs> to actually film that in multiple segments because I had to leave and pick my child up from yep. something and then come back and record no the call. and record the rest of it. That was pre-live. That was a pre-live show, but that was a great episode if you want to go back to the archives and watch it. So cash your votes. Cash your votes. Um, I'm not sure what's gonna happen as far as programming this weekend. I know we got heck of a morning tomorrow at 10 a.m. on the Twitter spaces. AK and I are gonna try to do something for onto the next one since we don't have any UFC cards to match make for. We might just do like an AMA or something fun. So get your questions in, whatever you want us to talk about, and we'll talk about them. And we got one championship. We got BKFC on Saturday in Albuquerque. I mean, there's combat sports. There's just no UFC, which means some of the programming sort of goes to the wayside. Do we have one championship? Didn't half their fighters, like, miss weight? Uh, hey, bro, Ooh, KSI's no. fighting twice on Saturday, okay? So can oh, you I forgot your combat about the, the KSI schedule? doubleheader. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> sorry. I... I, I I just lost BTL by not mentioning that. So, uh, Casey, have, do we have enough votes tabulated, or do I still need to stall for a few more minutes? I think we have a winner. I think we're oh. I think we're good to go. All right, there's Mister Thirty Twenty Four E Casey Lydon, producer extraordinaire, and he's going to announce the winner to take the heat off of my shoulders. Casey, have at it, my man. So we had three options. You could go. Winner Jed Mashu, winner Brian Campbell, or a draw. Ooh, we got a special draw in this one. With 10% of the votes coming in for a draw. Mm, damn, Ooh. I was hoping for a draw. That would have been fun. But 
with a strong 64% of the votes coming in yeah. for the winner. Mr. Brian Campbell. Thank you. Brian Campbell, BC, gets it done. The people have spoken. Brian Campbell comes on the show and delivers the goods. Although I thank Jed for being able and and daring, uh, this did look a lot like Anderson Silva, Chris Liebman. If we're going to be really honest, right? You know, I mean, it was was spectacular, right? But uh, uh, happy to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Jed, your response, your reaction to the peeps. They sometimes take your side. Sometimes they let you down. The Drake Riggs matchups really stick out of my mind when it comes to that. But your reaction to the peeps. Yeah, yeah, the peeps there. My only issue is that Brian's just very wrong about Bantamweight. And that's probably where a lot of it came from. Because I recognize that the people hate that. The people don't like the truth. Nobody likes to eat their vegetables. They want the dessert. And that's what Bantamweight is right now. It feels like a tasty treat. They don't like they don't like broccoli. And I'm just bringing you the, the, the hard facts, the good for you broccoli of the lightweight division. But that's okay. You, your, your tasty treats have more brain damage than my tasty treats, all right? All right? I mean, come on. Yeah, that's why they're better. <laughs> Much more fun to have brain damage. Oh, man. What a show. BC, where, where, where can we find your, your great work? Where can we find you? When will you be appearing on our screens next? Thank you so much. I co-host a, a fabulous podcast called Morning Combat with Luke Thomas, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern on the old YouTubes there. But uh, beyond that, you can catch my work at CBS Sports. I know what you're saying. You guys, guys know anything about MMA. I'm a boxing guy. All right. It's cool. But uh, thanks for having me on. What a, what a time. What a time to be alive. All right. If I, you know what I mean? This is great. What? This is great. Indeed. What a time to be alive. Casey, you can hit the exit music. I will try to hit the post like an absolute savage here. But we are done. This has been everything we hoped for and more. It was like buying a Toyota in the 1990s. So thank you very much for joining us. What an episode. I don't know how we're going to top this next week, but we're going to find a way to do so. Nudity. Nudity would be the start. Yeah. (laughs) No, we're not going to do that. We need the monetization. So for Jed Bashu, for Brian Campbell, for E. Casey Lydon on the ones and twos, the iconic voice of Esther Lynn takes you home. I am Mike Keck. We'll see you back once again next week on Between the Links. Good night, everybody. Love you guys. This has been Between the Links, an MMA fighting production on the Vox Media Network. Bantamweights rule! Wow, we got the real Esther. This is great. I'm Esther. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Intel is the spark for the dreamers who do. They dream of a life with no diseases, of cleaner, greener, more reliable energy, of advancing education by bringing AI everywhere. Intel is the spark to start something new to know that no dream is too daring when you have the right foundation. It starts with Intel. Learn more at intel.com slash starts. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.